So, it, is, uh, it is pretty fun to be able to be up here in the front of the church when that's happening. Do you guys realize how blessed we are as a church to just have all of that going on? Um, sometimes it's a lot going on. Sometimes it's a lot of management, a lot of teaching, a lot of effort to make sure that our kids learn what they need to learn. But would you agree with me that it's worth it to see excited faces, to see passionate lives, people growing up, learning and loving Jesus? Well, today we're going to bring back something that's been gone for a little while. These chairs maybe should be red. Um, a couple of you remember, if you were around, you remember in 2015 and 16, even in 2017, we, um, we started interviewing folks from our congregation, or rather I started interviewing folks from the congregation, just to hear your stories, to hear your stories about what has God been doing in your life, how has God been working lately, and all that kind of thing. And, and what was happening was, we had, uh, down at Media, we had two red chairs up in the front of the sanctuary, and I would sit in one red chair, and one of you would sit in the other, and they got called the red chair testimonies. Well, we don't have those red chairs anymore. They've become, uh, they, they, they saw a lot of testimonies. But there is value in hearing from each other. And so um, one of the things I'm going to encourage you to be thinking about, uh, today Lana Johnson's going to be sharing with us. Lana is our office administrator, no relation to me, um, but we see each other a lot and work together a lot. And so I asked her a, a week or two ago, I said, Lana, would you come forward and kind of share your testimony a bit um, and, and kind of kick this thing off? And she said, sure. Over the next little while, I'm going to be inviting some of you, hey, would you share your testimony? Just a testimony is just talking about what God is doing in your life, because I think it's good to hear from each other. And if any of you have, uh, have this moving of the Spirit that says, I really need to do that, talk to me, okay? Talk to me. I'd love to, uh, to kind of work you in um, and kind of get that all sorted out, because again, it's important for us to hear stories from each other about what God's doing. So Lana, would you come forward and, and join me up here? Why don't you take that one? Yeah. So, Lana, welcome to the stage. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Lana, is, uh, you are accustomed to working behind the scenes. You're in our office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday mornings. Yes. And when did, when did you and Ross start attending at Media Mennonite Church? Do you know about what year it was? I didn't tell you I was going to 2013? ask you 2013? 14? 12? I started here working 14. It was 11, you think? 14? Ross says maybe, it's been about 10 years. I've been working with you for eight years. You've been working so with me for eight years. Figure that out. God bless you. Mm -hmm. God bless you. Yeah. Well, Lana, what is, uh, <laughs> that's what you've been doing. What has God been doing? Because uh, you've been a Christian for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, about how old were you when you would say that you kind of zeroed in on God, became a Christian? Or was that always the fact? No, I was 23. 23 when you kind of gave your life to the Lord and followed. Yep. So, so there have been a couple of years now mm -hmm. that God's been working on you. Um, what's God doing? What, what, what's God doing in your life these days? What's he doing? Well, you and I talked, when you asked, I thought, okay, well, here we go again. And I thought, well, I could share COVID, the whole COVID time, which we're kind of still in, which is what lasted us, what, the last 10, 15 years? It seems <laughs> like... I thought, nah, I mean, we've all, we all have our stuff going on. Um, Ross and I experienced a lot of stuff in the last couple of years with, with deaths and family and parents being diagnosed with stuff. And, and uh, 
but what have I learned and what I'm striving for because of all that? And it's really interesting because of what you were preaching now. And I think what it is is that I've really tried to focus in on what am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to be acting? Who, who's my, uh, you know, who are we supposed to be looking at to be like? And then, well, duh, what do we say here at this church? Our goal is to teach others and help them become more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we, we do. That's what we strive to do here. So I've really been enjoying, and, and even beforehand, just studying and learning about Jesus mm -hmm. and, and how he dealt with things and the compassion he showed and the compassion he showed to all people, not just specific people and who he chose. It's whoever came in the path. And, and him showing us that, you know, you do this, but you also need to walk away sometimes. You need to take that time in prayer. You need to mm. communicate with God. You've got to get filled back up. And it just keeps showing us the importance of family in the church and how we need to, to have that. Like biological family or? No, no. Okay, I, I just wanna be clear. Family. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. To me, To me, because I don't have family close by, this is family. Mm. You know, when, when something happens to me, my closest relative, except for my husband and his biological family and my daughter, they're not here, they're, they're hours and hours away. So this is the family. This is the people who can be here and hold your hand and pray with you and cry with you and support you when something's going on. God's been kind of opening. I mean, you've always sort of known that, I yeah. think. Oh, yeah, because it's always been that way. Right, right. But God's just opening that up in a new way. Even more so, just bringing it to the forefront and how important mm -hmm. it is. And then here we are, you know, you're preaching about Jesus and we're learning about him. And the even cooler thing is if, if you guys are in a small group and you use the questions that Jesse sends out, usually on Sunday or Monday, <laughs> it really helps you as a small group to be able to get with others and really discuss what we've learned and get deeper and further into it and have questions with each other. And you, know, we, you may walk out of a sermon and feel totally filled or you may walk out with a lot of questions and when you get together with other Christians and get to experience that and, and push each other to even get to know more, that's a blessing. But Jesus also showed us that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he had his disciples. He had all the people around him. It wasn't just him out there by himself. Yeah. You know? That's a pretty fantastic advertisement for church. I didn't really, <laughs> uh, didn't really give Lana any guidelines on what to talk about today, but that, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So it's... It's exciting to me. It sounds like, if I were to sum that up, is it accurate to say that God is just teaching you the value and the importance of walking through your faith and, and studying the Bible together? Like, together is kind mm -hmm. of a word that comes to my mind as you're talking. Yeah, I mean, you have your times right. by yourself, but it is important to, to bounce things off each other. Because there's times, we all know that, we read something, we're like, what in the world is that supposed to mean? Mm -hmm. But then when you get with a group or, or we get to ask you or whatever, I mean, I'm lucky I can just like walk out the door and walk into the other door and ask you questions. Right. Not everybody has that availability to them. I do. I'm lucky about that. Well, but they pretty I, much do. I mean, well, they do. people can kind of they walk do. in anytime they want to. <laughs> they could. You may not be here. But, 
But it's it is. It's nice to and I like to hear other people's opinions on things and their their thoughts on things and what they get out of things because. As you get older, you realize you don't know everything, mm-hmm. and your opinion isn't necessarily the correct opinion, maybe, mm-hmm. and it's good to hear other thoughts and processes, and then you can sit there and go, oh, yeah, I didn't think about it that way before, or I didn't see it that way before. So one last question for you. Mm-hmm. So, so the way that you're built, the way that, you, the way that you interact and all that kind of stuff, you talked about there's a balance between... You've got to be working out your faith together with other people, and you also have to take time alone to be with God. Mm-hmm. Which one of those do you naturally tend toward? Is there one or the other that, that you would naturally go to? Which one is it? Oh, yeah, I'm an introvert. You're more of an introvert. When everybody was complaining about COVID and having to not be around people, I was like, woohoo! But Don't I'm an introvert. Yay! <laughs> I don't have to okay. deal with anyone. But no, I'm an introvert, so I'm more, that's easy for me. The, the being together with God is, is yeah, or being with God is yeah, easy. Just so then, then, yeah, then pushing mm-hmm. yourself to talk to others and that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else to share with us today? Well, Jerry, uh, Jerry, why do I do that all the time? My name's coming to my head. Who am I? Oh, I, don't know, I know who I'm thinking about. Okay. Jesse said earlier, promoting, if you feel like if you're sitting there right now and you've got that weird little feeling like, I've got something to say. I want to, you know, talk to them, say it because I love this. I love sitting out there and I love hearing everybody's stories and I love to hear how they dealt with it and everything. And it, it's not scary. I'm telling you right now, there is no one that I'm looking at right now that is looking at me like they just wish I would shut up and go away. I'm seeing <laughs> love and I'm seeing compassion and it's exciting. I, I yeah. can't wait to hear all the other stories because there's so many out there. And there's a lot of us, so I can't, there's no way I can learn everybody's story unless they come up here and share a little bit. So There you go. Thank you, Lana. You're welcome. All right. All right. Yeah, I don't see too many mean faces. It's a it's a kind congregation. Hey, Chad, when you're up here singing, do you, uh, do you see people looking at you saying, man, I wish he'd finally sit down? Yeah, does that ever happen to you? Yeah. No? Okay. Happens to me once in a while, but, but that's appropriate because sometimes it is time for me to sit down. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing, Lana. And um, it is important to hear, just to hear what God's doing in our brothers and sisters and, and to be able to think about that. I think that's a good word. Um, it's important to balance out you know, there's a lot of stuff that we do with our faith that is kind of an us and God thing. We all need to have that foundation of our decision to follow the Lord. That's a personal decision. That's an individual decision. We all need to make that decision. We need to maintain our lives with God and, and be praying to God and listening to God. Um, but at the same time, I think um, we need to acknowledge there's great power and there's great opportunity in being together with each other and working that out, talking about it, saying, hey, Steve, how do you see this? You know, Donna, what's this look like to you? And, and, and Dave, what's your story? And, and just hearing those kind of things can really, um, I, I know they really stir me up. Now, I'm more of the extroverted kind of a fellow. But um, thank you, Lana, for sharing. And so, uh, again, if any of you just feel that, feel that unction to share, uh, talk to me. Now today, um, for this sermon, I'm going to be preaching from Mark chapter 2, kind of continuing on in the line that we've been going. It's really interesting to me, I know I mentioned it before to you, but um, about 100 miles to our north, Doug Groff, uh, he's the pastor at Derry Mennonite Church, D-E-R-R-Y. Um, and so Doug and I both kind of 
landed on this idea of preaching through Mark this calendar year. And so back the first or second week of January, we were talking a little bit and just said, hey, what are you preaching about this week as it opens up the book? And we really just hadn't talked to each other. Here it is six weeks later. And so this week we were sending some texts back and forth, and it turns out that he's preaching on the exact same chunk of Scripture that I am today. Uh, which, is, and, which is interesting because it's an odd chunk of Scripture. It's Mark 2.18 through Mark 3.6. We're kind of slamming some things together. And so the, the Spirit inspired us both in the same way. But we didn't talk any more than that about our sermons. I don't know where he's going with his or emphasizing, and, and I didn't share his share mine with him. Um, but if you don't like this sermon today, um, their services are on Facebook. If you go home this afternoon and look up Dairy Mennonite Church, maybe you'll hear a good sermon about Mark chapter 2. Um, so I don't know what he's preaching about today, but I and my studies have been wrapped up in the question of why. Any of you parents hear that question this week? Why? Dad, why? Mom, why did this happen? It's a question that we all ask sometimes, right? And it's a question that we don't always get an answer to. I had someone ask me this week, why is God either making me or letting me go through this? Sometimes there are no answers. Those are challenging times when we're going through things that don't seem to be fair or that we don't seem to have deserved or or maybe just things that we really don't like. And we know that God is in control of all things, right? And we know that God looks out for the good of those who love him. And yet we say, why am I going through this trial As I've studied this passage this week, I've been stuck on the word why. And so as I read this passage from Mark chapter 2 and 3, think about, think about all the whys in here. Think about the motivation behind each person's actions. Just think about that as you hear it. So I'm going to read for you Mark 2, 18 through 3, 6. Here it goes. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest... He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. Also, he gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them all, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. So he looked around at them in anger 
and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This scripture opens up, or, or this, uh, this passage of scripture opens up with some questions, doesn't it? It says that John's disciples, John, that being John the Baptist, who is at this point in jail, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that those disciples fast and yours do not? In other words, why is it that they're not eating? Why are they going through this ceremony? And why are yours not going through this ceremony? See, that question of why, the word why isn't in there, but how is it sounds an awful lot like why to me. How is it that they're fasting, but your disciples are not? Jesus said, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They can't, as long as they have the bridegroom with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. There was only one day of the year that was required for Jews to fast, as far as I understand it. There was one day that was required. God laid that out way back in the law of Moses said on the day of the day, you should, you should fast on this day to recognize what God has done. Now, by the time of Jesus, which was almost 1,500 years after that initial law was given, by the time of Jesus, the religious authorities and the Pharisees are those religious authorities. The Pharisees are the ones among the Jews who are the most studied and the most disciplined and carrying out all of the details as best they can. That's what makes them a Pharisee. So the Pharisees really followed the rules. And by the time of Jesus, they had all kinds of additional fasting days added into their practices. In fact, many Pharisees would have fasted on Monday and Thursday just as a, as a discipline. And, and they did it very publicly. They walked around and, and people knew that they were fasting. It was announced and it was shown. Almost one of these, look at how righteous these folks are. And so... This day, when these Pharisees are speaking to Jesus, it's not the required day of fasting. It's one of, the, one of the extra ones that's been added over time. So they say, how come John's disciples and the Pharisees are fasting, yours are not? Jesus says, well, this is not a day for fasting. He says, this is a day of celebration. The bridegroom is with them. Jesus begins to unfold who he is. He says, look, my disciples, they're still with me. Fasting is for reflection and for mourning and for times of conviction. He says, this is not one of those times. The bridegroom is with his bridal party. This is a time of celebration. Why did Jesus answer them this way? He could have just said, because today is a dumb day to have a fast. He could have just said, we're not fasting because we're hungry. He could have just said, we're not fasting because all of your rules are holding people down and they're stupid. They're just, they're just ignorant rules that, that are made up by people who are not thinking correctly. He could have said all of those things, but he didn't. He says the bridegroom is with the bridal party. My disciples are celebrating me. They're celebrating something real. And then he goes on with kind of an odd further explanation. In verse 21, he says, Nobody sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine in the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Why did Jesus answer this way? 
Well, he's bringing a new reality to the people. The way the wineskins used to work is they would take a, a goat skin and they would cut it in a certain way and they would sew it up in a certain way. And, and this new fresh goat skin, they would pour new fresh wine in there for storage. And as the wine fermented, gas would come off of the wine and it would expand and stretch that fresh goat skin. And then when they needed that wine, they would use it and pour it out. And then the goat skins couldn't be used anymore because they had stretched to their capacity. And if you would pour new wine into that old wine skin again, and that new wine would start to expand, well, the goat skin couldn't stretch that far and it would burst. This is what Jesus is talking about. He says, you can't pour new stuff into an old vessel. It's not the same as saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Not the same thing. Jesus is not talking about old people and young people. What Jesus is saying here is the way that you're acting out your faith, that's the old way. And Jesus says, I'm bringing a new way. Now, it shouldn't be a new way. And what we're going to see here, what Jesus is saying is, I'm calling you back to how things actually should have been in the first place. But Jesus is coming to reframe the discussion. Jesus is coming to reframe religion. Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees and telling them, you guys have built so many layers of extra human stuff onto real Christian faith that it doesn't even look like what you should have been doing. And Jesus says, I'm calling you back to that. I've got new wine. You're an old wineskin. He says, this is why we're not fasting. It's the same kind of story with unshrunk cloth on an old garment. I don't know how many of you patch garments anymore. We're not a garment patching society as much as we used to be. Every year that I was in elementary school, by the second half of the school year, my blue jeans had patches on the knees. It's been a long time since I wore jeans with patches on the knees. Of course, now you just let the holes out. But you don't sew a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, when you wash it, that, that old garment that has already shrunken as much as it's going to, the patch shrinks and pulls away from the old garment and rips the whole thing up. Jesus says, look, you guys are dealing with your old style of working with things. And he says, this new thing that I'm doing, this setting free that I'm offering, this liberty that I'm bringing, he says, this is not the same as what you are up to. We see this with the next, the next example. It starts in verse 23. Mark says, now remember, Mark, his source of information was Peter. Peter told these stories to Mark. Mark wrote them down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter must have remembered one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. Back in that day, the roads in that area were not as clearly marked out as we might be useful today, used to today. Trails would cut through, uh, cut through fields and things kind of worked that way. And the rule was... This went all the way back to Old Testament times. The rule was if you were walking through, even if it's not your field, if you're a little bit hungry, you could grab some grain with your hand and you could work it out and get a nice snack, you know, like we are all prone to do. However, you can't go into somebody else's field with a sickle. You can't take your combine and just start. You can take what you need to eat. You can't go and harvest it, okay? But on a Sabbath, Jesus was going through grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. They didn't have tools, so it was okay. The Pharisees said to Jesus, and by the way, there's a pretty good chance. You could look up all the rules and laws that the Pharisees added to the Sabbath idea. You can look up, there's some really common stuff that everybody talks about, how they added you could only walk so far away from your house, and this is exactly what constituted work. You couldn't do any of this stuff. 
there's a pretty good chance that the Pharisees who were following Jesus and watching him were breaking the Sabbath laws to do so. But that's kind of a bunny trail. The Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And if you are picking a head of grain, now some of you guys who, who know how to harvest grain, you might have better terminology than I do, but if, if you're picking something, well, then you're harvesting it. And if you're rolling it around in your hands, well, then you're, you're not shucking it. You do that to corn, right? You're, 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 getting the, you're getting the grain from the bad stuff, and then you let the, the chaff go in the air and so that you have only the seeds. You don't eat the whole head. There's all kinds of terminology for that, right? but it's all work. The Jews would have said, that's all work, and we don't work on the Sabbath day. How is it that your boys are working on the Sabbath? Jesus could have said, well, they're hungry. Leave us alone. Jesus could have said, oh, you guys, you and your rules. But he didn't. He spoke to these Pharisees, these really religious guys, these guys who, who tried to read the Bible, tried to read their Old Testament scripture and, and apply it to every area of life, even to the minutia of you can't even pick a head of grain if you're hungry. He answered them with scripture. He said, have you never read what David did? And of course they would have. But he says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They went in, they went and ate bread that nobody was supposed to eat, but they were hungry enough that the priest said, all right, go ahead. And there's a whole story about it. Jesus said, look, if you're hungry, you can get something to eat, even if it's a little bit of work on the Sabbath. Why does Jesus tell that story when they ask him about what his disciples are doing today? See, I think, I think Jesus is trying to speak their language to him. I like what Lana said here today about how God is calling out to all people not just people of a certain kind or certain type or, or a certain age or anything like that. Oftentimes, there's this picture of Jesus where he and the Pharisees are very adversarial, right? The Pharisees come and they accuse, and then Jesus gives an answer, and eventually it's the Pharisees who are right in the middle of the mob who are trying to get Jesus killed. At this point in Jesus' story, he's still inviting them in. These, these are people who might be acting like his enemies, but he doesn't seem to see them as enemies just yet. Why does he tell them an Old Testament Bible story? Why does he tell the Old Testament experts a story from the Old Testament? Why would you do that? It seems to me that he's trying to speak their language. He's trying to get their attention. He's trying to get through to them. This is what I try to do every week that I stand up here. I mean, you all can read the Bible too. Why bother having a preacher talk about it? because we try to put it in a way that we can all understand. Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees saying, look, it is possible on a Sabbath to be able to take care of your hunger if there's food there. You don't have to follow the rules just because they're rules. In fact, he says, they're not really God's rules anyway. They're only yours. We can see that when Jesus goes on in verse 27. He says, he goes on and he says to these Pharisees, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then Jesus says something really provocative. He said, so the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What he's telling them, because people have been calling him the son of man. They acknowledge that, yeah, Jesus is human. That's, that's not hard to imagine. But Jesus says, I am even the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, I will tell you what the rules are because I helped to create it. 
Jesus says, I have the authority to frame this for you. And what Jesus says is that if you're hungry on the Sabbath, you can eat. Now, why would Jesus say this? See, this is those questions of why. And I know some of you are not why people and you're saying, Johnson, just get over it and get out of the pulpit. I know. But hang in, hang in with me. This is beautiful stuff. Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees. He's reminding them that he is God. He is saying that he knows the truth. Jesus is telling them why there is a Sabbath, and he's trying to correct centuries of misunderstanding. See, this is a key theological matter for us to understand. We cannot, in 2022, pull our ethics straight from the Old Testament as if that is the law given to us by which to live today. See, the Old Testament is chapter one in God's speaking to us. If we're reading a book with two chapters, the Old Testament is chapter one. Jesus came, and ever since his time, then the New Testament was written. Chapter one points to chapter two. The Old Testament points to the New Testament. It points to Jesus. But chapter two, which is all about Jesus and all about the church after Jesus' time, chapter two explains, clarifies, and sometimes modifies chapter one. What am I talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. God set things up in the beginning and people messed things up in the beginning. And then God set a set of rules to broken humanity. They were spoken through Moses to the people of Israel and said, this is how you're supposed to live now. And people tried to live that way for 1,500 years, but couldn't do it. We could not fulfill the law that God gave that was intended to bring us to God. So God said, well, this is clearly not working. So God sent his son. They called him Jesus. And Jesus says, I am showing you now a new way. Jesus said he fulfilled the law, all the stuff that God said people ought to do. Jesus said that he fulfilled the law, and now people need to follow him, believe in him, and trust in him. That is the New Testament, but there are a lot of folks who still go back to the Old Testament trying to figure out exactly how to live. That Old Testament is helpful, it is the word of God, and it is instructive, but it does not stand alone. The Old Testament points to the New Testament. And so when Jesus says, you Pharisees understood the Old Testament wrong, we have to listen to Jesus. As the Son of God, he is the one that gets to reframe, he is the one that gets to reinterpret, he is the one that gets to correct, and he is the one that gets to call back to the things that are important. And now you can begin to see why Jesus got these Pharisees a little bit bent out of shape. Because for these Pharisees, the Sabbath was one of the biggest issues because on that day, their righteousness could be on display. Look at the rules that we follow that nobody else does. Look at the things that we avoid that all the simple people do. The Sabbath was a huge issue for them and it was a sensitive issue for them. You know, we've got phrases in our language today. See if you've heard any of these. You ever hear the phrase, let that sleeping dog lie? Any of you hear that phrase? <laughs> Just this week, Bree came home with homework, and, and it was English stuff, and they were figuring out the correct use of the word lie versus lay. And I realized that I don't know how to speak English. <laughs> because even looking at fifth grade homework, I could not figure out when to use the word lie and lay. But I know that the phrase says, let sleeping dogs lie. And if you ever hear the phrase, uh, this is a little newer to me, don't poke the bear. You heard that one? Just, just let that thing go. Just, just walk away, right? But this week as I was studying these couple of passages here in Mark, 
I got a picture of a Jesus who uh, didn't let sleeping dogs lie. I got a picture of a Jesus who was ready to poke the bear. Actually, and I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I got a picture of a matador. I know, I know bullfighting is not, um, not, not in vogue so much anymore. And, and frankly, most of what I know about bullfighting I learned from Bugs Bunny and seeing those cartoons. <laughs> but in bullfighting, I, I get a picture of, of a matador, a man standing in the arena waving a red cape, some kind of a cape, in front of a bull that he could pretty easily just walk away from. But instead, he waves the cape to get the attention of the bull, and then I guess the art of it is at the last minute stepping out of the way so that the bull, which could kill you, doesn't. We could talk about all kinds of motivations for why people might do that. But there's this picture of Jesus as a matador in Mark chapter 3. Now, we know that Jesus talked to the Pharisees about the Sabbath. We know that Jesus talked to the Pharisees about, you know, kind of kind of adding too many layers of religion to people's faith. By the way, church, religion is not what saves you, just so we're clear on terminology. Religion is all the stuff that we do because we love God. Hey, Aaron. How's it going, buddy? <laughs> Religion is all the stuff that we do that says, sit down and be quiet. Religion is all the stuff that we do that says, put on a show and make sure people see you acting like this. Religion is all the stuff that we do that isn't maybe specifically written down in the Bible, but that's how we do it. Religion is a human framework that is a response to God, right? And, and there's a lot of stuff about religion. There is such a thing as good religion, good practices that help us to become close to the Lord. But religion, because it, is, oh, because it is often in the hands of people, religion can be corrupted and can be twisted. Religion is not what saves us. Our faith is what saves us. And this is really important to understand because Jesus here in these passages is getting to the core of this Jewish religion and saying, guys, you're trying to worship God, but what you're trying to do is being held up by all the religion that you put in place that God never intended. And we see this in chapter 3. It says, Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Where was the synagogue? Who were the people in a synagogue? It was Jewish folks, right? And if it was a Sabbath day, which we're going to find out that it is, all of the Pharisees would have been there because you go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. So another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, right, right into the bear's den, so to speak. The man with the shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Now look at verse 3. Look who initiates this. What does Mark say? Chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. This man didn't approach Jesus. There are a lot of stories in the scripture about people coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, if you're willing, make me clean. Or, or Jesus, would you please heal me? Or, or, or Jesus, I'm, I'm trying. Jesus, there's no indication that this guy did anything other than sit there with his hand. And Jesus said, stand up. Not over here quietly in this corner not over here in my office, son. He said, stand up where? What does it say? Stand up in front of everyone. 
Stand up in front of everyone. Jesus is getting out his red cape. And then Jesus said, not to him. Who did Jesus say it to? He asked them, all the people there, because he's not just dealing with this guy. He's trying to get at the hearts of all the people. You see how he's still inviting the Pharisees? He's still inviting them. He's still loving them, showing them truth, trying to show them truth. Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? That's an easy question, isn't it? That's an easy question to answer. What does Mark say? What did Peter remember? They remained silent. They weren't ashamed to ask him why his disciples weren't fasting. They, they weren't ashamed to ask him all kinds of questions about what he was doing. They, they weren't ashamed to sit there and watch him. But when he starts asking questions, then they shut their mouth. <laughs> oh, Jesus was so good with people. What is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? They remain silent. In verse 5, now we, see, now we see the emotional depth of Jesus on display. It says he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at, at what? What's he distressed at? What's it say there? Deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Jesus is trying to get through to these people's hearts. Because their hearts, as Anthony said this morning, their hearts have gotten all focused on them. Look at what I do. Look at how I do my religion. Look at how much I'm fasting. I'm not even eating I love God so much. Jesus, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, he's distressed because he knows that the heart is the key to life. He knows that if these people will turn their hearts to God, all of them can be saved. He knows that if their hearts will be reoriented towards the Lord instead of focused on themselves, that he can change their hearts and give them real life. He's distressed because their hearts are stubborn. They will not open themselves to him. He wants them to be close to him and they are refusing. It distresses him. And so what did he do? This man who was standing up in their midst, he continues and uses him as an object illustration. He says, stretch out your hand. He didn't say, I forgive you of your sins. He didn't say, you're going to be well. He didn't, as he did before, he didn't ask people, well, do you want to be well? He simply said to the man, stretch out your hand. And now what happened, remember, this is in front of everybody. What happened? He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Now, Matthew and Luke both tell the same story in their gospel. They both tell the story, and I believe it's Luke, the physician, who notes that this man's right hand was shriveled. Many of us in this room are right-handed. The majority of humanity is right-handed. Can you imagine if your dominant hand was the one that was shriveled? And now he stands up, stretches out his hand, and it was completely restored. Jesus is not just telling everyone that he is God. Jesus is not just going into theological exercises proving from the scriptures that he is God. 
Jesus isn't just even walking around calling disciples, convincing them that he is God. Jesus is showing people that he is God, not even in private anymore. Up till this point, he's been telling people, you are healed, but now don't go tell anybody. It's not yet my time. At this point, Jesus says, stand up in church. And he heals the man for everyone to see. I mean, is there any more blatant display of God's power than for a man whose hand is shriveled to be not shriveled? Jesus didn't even touch the guy. He didn't even do some kind of a, some kind of a magical medical cure. Jesus, by the power of his word, healed that man's hand in front of everyone. And you know, if the Pharisees wanted to stand around and say, well, I'm not sure if that's really true. This was a guy in their synagogue. Go ask him, go see him, go arm wrestle that guy. See how the hand is now, right? This isn't something that happened in some faraway land that, well, I don't know. That sounds like fuzzy reporting to me. No, this is right there. Jesus stretched, or Jesus spoke to the man. The man stretched out his hand. His hand was completely restored. Jesus is showing everyone that he is God, that he indeed has the power to correctly interpret religion, that he has the power to heal, that he has the power to set people free as he's been preaching for weeks. And there is this offer right here for everybody to get on board with him. Everyone at this point has to come to a decision about Jesus, right? You see that hand stretched out. That's either legit or that is not legit. Jesus reframed religion for them, told them what the Sabbath is really for. Jesus gave his credentials to do so, telling them that he is the Son of God, the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus proved it by healing this man's hand with a word in front of a crowd. He set this man free from his misery. He set the people free from their restrictive, life-killing Sabbath regulations that make them go hungry even when food's right there. Jesus came to bring glory to God and restore people back to the Lord. And the account of all these stories in Mark is beginning to show Jesus doing this more publicly. And certainly, after the whole church saw this man's hand stretched out, they would have all praised God, right? Certainly, seeing this guy, they knew, and they knew he couldn't use his hand. Now they can see it. They can see the strength. Certainly, now the walls would have gone down. Their stubborn hearts would have been turned back into flesh, and they would have praised God, right? But what does the rest of the scriptures say. Look at verse 6. And if Jesus was distressed at their stubborn hearts before, how distressed would he have been now? What happened? Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Certainly there were people in that synagogue who believed in Jesus because we know the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger people saw and they believed. We're, we're not painting that whole synagogue. We're not painting all Jewish people as folks who hate the Messiah. No, but there were some who did. Here we're told the Pharisees, they went out, they began to plot with the Herodians. Pharisees and Herodians did not get along. Pharisees were all about Israel. They were Israelites of the Israelites. They were the purest. This was their intention. They were the purest, the finest, the best. They followed all the rules. They were God's people as closely as you could be God's people in these days. The Herodians, these were Jewish folks who largely didn't really follow the religious stuff anymore. They followed Herod. They didn't worship Herod, but Herod, the government structure of the time, Herod was who they were excited about. They were basically a political party made up of Jews and the political party was oppressing the rest of the Jews. 
So these Pharisees, Jewish of the Jewish, are now uniting with the sellouts who are promoting the government which is oppressing the Jews? Do you see the anger here, the stubbornness here? Do you see what kind of evil is being expressed in their actions when they see something glorious from God and it drives them to plotting on how they can kill Jesus? Do you see the stubbornness here? Do you see why it was worthwhile for Jesus to wake the sleeping dog, poke the bear, or wave the cape in front of the bull? That dog might be dangerous. That bear might be a handful. And this bull might be stronger than me. But Jesus says, that thing needs to be put down. That thing needs to be dealt with. That oppression, that religious system that is holding people in chains, that cannot go any longer. So Jesus steps into the arena and he says, I'm going to deal with this. And even if they don't bring it up, I am going to pick a fight. Young man, stand up. Show me your hand. Don't you love Jesus? I mean, that's the intention, is for us to grow in our love of Jesus. When we see the lengths to which he will go to set people free. I've been debating this week to about whether I ought to list all the religious stuff that we fall into. It's a long list. I think we're going to talk about that another time. I think we're going to come back to that. But here's what I want to, here's what I want to leave you with, church. Most of us don't try it. We, we don't sit down at home and say, how can we make, how can we make faith seem difficult to people? We don't do that on purpose. But there's a lot of stuff that we do that makes faith difficult for people. There's a lot of stuff that we do that would make the man with the shriveled hand not want to be with us in the first place. There are a lot of attitudes that we have about Jesus that might lead someone to conclude that there's nothing about Jesus that I need. There are ways that you and I live And when people find out that we go to church, they say, well, I'll never go to church there. Now, maybe they have stubborn hearts. But I would suggest to you that if you go home today, and if you talk with the people that you love about your experiences at church, about experiences at this church and at other ones, you can probably think of one or two things that have gotten a little out of whack. Ways that we have begun to act religious instead of just acting faithful. I'm going to give you a week to think about that. Think about yourself. Is there anything you do that you need to just maybe stop or just back off on? Or is there any expectation you've been putting on others that is not really a Jesus expectation? It's just your expectation. It's your religious expectation. I'm just going to invite you and challenge you to think about that this week. Think about that in your small groups. Think about that in your dinners, both with Christian folks and your dinners with sinners. What are some of the ways that you've perhaps become an accidental Pharisee or that I have 
or that we have. Because we've got to stop those things. Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. We want to be free, right? We don't want to add to the chains. So church, go home and think about this, and I trust that the Holy Spirit will guide you to think about the right things at the right time. Can we pray together? God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you keep calling out to us even now. Jesus, I'm thankful that you keep making a way for us even now. Holy Spirit, I'm thankful that you keep working in our hearts even now. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, please keep working. Lord, show us and convict us of the mistakes that we've made, the the things that we've done that might make it hard for those in need to come to you. Lord, help us to see if there are things that we've done either with our programs or with our attitudes or, or with our teaching or our words, if there are things that we've done that result in people being farther away from you rather than close to you, Lord, Lord, first of all, please forgive us. But Lord, would you please correct us? This is not where we want to be. Lord, we want to be in partnership with you. Jesus, we want to be, we want to be in alignment with you. Holy Spirit, we want to be inspired by you. So God, please help us. Help us to to live the way Jesus would have us live. And help us to root out every inclination of Phariseeism that we might have in our hearts or in our crowd. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for reaching out even to the Pharisees and showing that you can make a difference in every life as long as we're alive. You can change us if we'll come to you. Thank you, God, for loving us that much. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Congregation, can we sing a last song together?